as green as it gets for Christmas for most of the lower 48. I'm meteorologist Don Paul. Welcome to the Don Paul podcast, Bits of Blather on weather, climate, and occasional humor. And if you don't have snow on the ground now, most of you listening, regardless of where you may be in the country, are not going to get any between now and the Christmas holiday. There is snow in the Rockies at the higher elevations, and there's plenty of snow coming down due to a Pacific storm in the Sierra Mountains of California, with flooding rains likely across Southern and Central California from that storm. But uh, any snow in the Great Lakes will be leftovers shaded in rural areas on the melt as we get into Christmas, that snow left over from Monday from some lake effect and a little wraparound snow from the big Atlantic storm, which struck Florida and the East Coast with damaging winds and tidal flooding. That storm may have had some of its oomph tied to what is a strong El Nino, which may yet get stronger. But there will be a white Christmas more likely for more thinly populated areas from the central Rockies into eastern Wyoming, northeast Colorado, western Nebraska, and western South Dakota, that snow will fizzle as it moves eastward into warmer and drier air. So there is no chance of new snow coming to the Midwestern cities from St. Louis up toward the Great Lakes or to the Atlantic seaboard. So what you've got is going to be on the melt anyway, especially as temperatures begin to moderate even more so during the weekend and on Christmas Day. And El Nino, speaking of it, is natural warming. It is a strong El Nino. These are less common than moderate or weak El Ninos. And the models, which we use to predict the status of ENSO, the El Nino Southern Oscillation, indicate that it will remain a strong El Nino through February, then begin to weaken later in the winter and may revert to a neutral ENSO status between March and May. In fact, there are signs in the extended range that we may revert to a La Nina later this coming summer into next fall. The impact from that we'll discuss in a future episode. This has been and is now a lock to be the warmest year on record globally. Maybe not at your house, but the global averages for land, oceanic, and atmospheric temperatures are now well established that this is the warmest year on record. And the paleoclimatologists who dig up sediment and ice cores say there is good evidence that this is likely the warmest year in about 125,000 years. That would include a couple of ice ages and a couple of tropical periods. And El Nino, even when it does start to weaken, is not going to have its impacts immediately turn off like a light switch. The excess warmth in the oceans, which are somewhat tied to the warmer than average temperatures across the lower 48, uh, will continue that warmth in the oceans into next year. It is possible that the impacts from El Nino added to accelerating man linked, I should say human-linked global warming may make next year even warmer than this year. And uh, that's a little worrisome. That's also a topic for another podcast episode. But with no single variable, not even a strong El Nino responsible for everything in the way that upper air patterns behave, what we still will have to watch for 
are changes in the status of the polar vortex. And the polar vortex is pretty much the name of the game as to chances for true polar air intrusions into the lower 48. It may sound counterintuitive, but when a polar vortex is strong as it is now, it takes on a more circular shape surrounding the North Pole and tends to keep the really cold polar air trapped in the polar latitudes. It's when the polar vortex starts to weaken and stretch out to the south when the rotational speed drops off, that's when polar air can be delivered southward. The polar jet stream sags south as the polar vortex either stretches out or becomes sometimes even more seriously disrupted. Late last December, we had a serious disruption of the polar vortex. It was short-lived, but it was brutal, especially where I'm recording this in Buffalo. Even with days of advance warning from the National Weather Service and us private sector meteorologists, there are still segments of society that are out of touch with uh, the more modern technologies to get them advance warnings and, of course, aren't in touch with TV forecasts from um, broadcast meteorologists. And Buffalo suffered its worst worst loss of life in a blizzard in Buffalo history. 47 people, most of them in Buffalo, lost their lives to hypothermia, freezing to death. Uh, there were people who didn't have power for days. We had gusts reaching and exceeding 70 miles per hour, fracturing the snowflakes into little icy columns that formed a matrix, which made the snow almost impossible to shovel even after the blizzard stopped. Uh, this was not fluffy snow as you typically experience with bitter cold temperatures. It was just bashed into a matrix of dense, heavy snow. Nothing like that in sight this year. Uh, no chance whatsoever in the next couple of weeks of that kind of a, an event. And tied with that polar vortex disruption, we had a low pressure system which underwent bombogenesis. It just became a super low pressure system north of the Great Lakes and pushed uh, violent southwest winds into Buffalo across still warm lake waters, producing extraordinary snowfall amounts, but also incredible drifting, as I've already mentioned. So the people of Buffalo, there are some snow lovers here, some of whom would ordinarily favor the appearance of a white Christmas are probably in a majority feeling relief that that's not a possibility this year. If you're green now, you will still be green on Christmas. It's not only not going to look like Christmas in the Midwest or the East Coast or the Great Lakes, it's not going to feel like it either. Buffalo's high temperature on Christmas Day will be in the low to mid-50s. Still some 50s around on Tuesday. Now, early this month, there were some indications that we could see a stretching of that polar vortex by the end of this month. The indications now are if that's going to happen, it's more likely to occur next month. And the signs of that stretching and polar vortex disruption to produce a short episode of harsh wintry weather, those signs are less impressive now than they were a couple of weeks ago. If you're a snow lover, I do want to remind you, though, that we can't see these polar vortex disruptions in any kind of detail more than about two weeks in advance. So uh, all hope is not lost for snow lovers. But in the meantime, for, forget about it if you just bought a snowmobile. And it's certainly not going to be looking truly wintry around here or the Midwest or in most of the country for some time to come. Maybe a little hint of more wintry weather after Christmas, toward the new year, and into next month. 
And if there's a pattern change beginning to show up, I will give you the details here on the podcast. And as much as meteorologists like me enjoy the challenge of forecasting snow, I don't wish cast. If it doesn't look like there's a chance for snow, I will tell you that, okay? I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Please share, please follow, and I will chat with you again in a day or two.